Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Stephen King is a resident owner in a Sydney strata scheme. Stephen's building is in Bondi Junction, New South Wales, and I have invited him on the show today so that he can share with all of you what he's learned serving as a committee member for his strata scheme for more than 15 years. Stephen has lived in his building for 25 years. He teaches academic writing at the University of Sydney, and he is currently completing a third degree in psychology. Stephen is also a member of the YSP online membership community. Today, I am delighted to welcome Stephen King. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I have to start by saying, Stephen, I'm looking at you because we're filming this over Skype, and I'm looking at your very impressive Rode podcaster mic, which is identical to mine, and you've just been telling me how you deliver some of your university lectures online, and hence you are the proud owner of a Rode podcaster. And I have to say <laughs> you're my first guest on this podcast to have a podcasting mic on the other side. Well, great minds think alike. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've had the privilege, Stephen, of working with you and your committee for many years now, and when it came to me to deliver an episode for the podcast on strata committees and what makes a great strata committee, your committee was certainly at the top of my list because I have seen you guys work so well over the years and you have achieved so much, and I think we have a lot of value to give our listeners today getting stuck into what makes a great strata committee. So, Stephen, I'm going to start by asking you to tell us why is a great strata committee so critical to the effective day-to-day operation of a strata community? You know, I had a little bit of a think about this question and actually the answer is quite the exact opposite. It's when you don't have an effective committee, everything seems to go wrong. You Mm. get disasters everywhere. People are unhappy. The problem with an ineffective committee is that the problems become unresolvable. Mm. You've got to remember that, uh, you know, a strata scheme is where you live. If things go badly wrong, I mean, where do you actually go? I mean, what do you do, sell up and every time something mm-hmm. goes wrong? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a major problem to have committees which can't look after their own buildings. Mm. And you've got to remember, uh, committees like a board of directors operating a business Mm. And a strata is like a small town with effectively with the corridors being the streets. Mm. And the thing that people tend not to realize is that a building is a huge machine which needs constant attention. Mm. And uh, people forget that their neighbors are only 15 centimeters across the wall. Yeah. I think it's a really great analogy and it's one that I've used before where you say a strata committee is like a board of directors managing a company and for some buildings the committee is managing a budget that can be multiple millions of dollars. So these people have a very important role to play just as board of directors for large companies have to play and I think sometimes whether by other owners or the committee members themselves this can be overlooked and perhaps the attention that's required to be paid to the role or the understanding of the duties of the role simply aren't there. That's exactly right. It's, uh, you know, the, one of the things that a lot of uh, 
buildings don't seem to have as effective budgets mm. and effective financing. You know, there's not much of a look into the future. I think one of the advantages that we've got over here is that most of the people on the committee, well, in fact, all the committee except for one, have been resident in the building for more than 10 years. Mm, so they've got that long-term picture. Yeah. And that's a really important perspective to take because you're no longer thinking about what's going to happen in six months' time or what's going to happen in 12 months' time, but you're actually thinking 10 years ahead. Mm. For instance, one of the things we've started to look at is the question of electric cars. Mm. And we know that this takes uh, this is going to take a, some development of our electrical system to be able to cope with the extra demands. Fortunately, the entire complex is undergoing an electrical upgrade and we've included that as part of the scope of works that need to be dealt with. Mm. And you're bearing in mind that electric cars are going to have a role to play there in the future. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point that you make there. And um, Gordon Strait, who's another very experienced committee member who I know you're familiar with, who was on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago, he made the same point about longevity of committee members. And I think you're very lucky there where you are that you have had resident owners on the committee. And not only have they been living in the building for a long time, but they do have that interest in ensuring the smooth day-to-day running of the building because they actually live there and are experiencing, I suppose, the results of their decision-making firsthand. Mm, it's exactly right. And you're quite right about Gordon. In fact, I, I picked up a plagiarised some of Gordon's best <laughs> ideas. Excellent. Gordon, Gordon's really uh, wide-thinking person. Mm. He's got a tremendous scope in uh, the way that he tries to tackle problems with. And of course, he's a great person to talk to. Mm. Yep. Okay. Well, I think you've given me a segue there into my next question, Stephen. I want to ask you, what does a great strata committee look like? And we've covered off, uh, you know, having longevity of members and, and potentially resident owners on the committee. What else makes up a great strata committee? I think Probably the most important thing is attitude. Mm. I mean, if you don't get a, an attitude that's cooperative, you know, that, that disharmony can be so taxing in terms of energy and time yep. that committees tend to fall apart. Again, we're somewhat lucky here because we've got a, a really high level of cooperation. One of the things we do here is the office holders' roles aren't compartmentalised Mm-hmm. So that when we have a, a very transparent scheme and that when if the secretary sends an email to the strata manager, I always include the treasurer and the chairman and, of course, vice versa. If something happens with the, the, uh, the treasurer, mm-hmm. he always includes us as well. And that's really important because what it means is, is that practically all of us can step into each other's shoes. Mm. And the other thing is because there's no siloing, effect. Everyone knows what's going on. And we've sort of maintained that no private conversations rule for about Mm. 10 years. And we've really impressed that on our building manager and our strata manager, Mm. uh, who've been very cooperative. And when they talk to us, they talk to all three of us Mm. so that there's no, you know, everyone's got a a very good idea about what what everyone else is doing. Mm. You've used a really important word there, I think, Stephen, transparency. And I very often work with committees or members of committees that just aren't functioning effectively. And nine times out of 10, it comes down to transparency. And not only the committee members themselves, but the 
owners and the strata manager having access to information, having minutes of meetings that reflect the, the actual decisions that have been made, having notices of meetings that show what it is the committee is about to consider, so detailed agendas for meetings, and having those open lines of communication, like you say, copying people in on emails and not having those private conversations or those off-the-record informal meetings. The number of times I come across lot owners who are frustrated by their committee's informal meetings, I just find that there's, there's no reason for that. And if there is transparency, then we just see our communities operating that much more smoothly. That's exactly right. And I think that the best type of transparency is between committee members, mm. particularly the office holders, you know. And the other thing about transparency that actually uh, works very well is that it increases the level of trust amongst people. Yes. Uh, you don't feel like that there's something going on that you don't know about or you suddenly don't discover something that you should have known about that you didn't know about. Mm. And one of the most damaging aspects of a committee is when trust dissipates mm. and you just don't trust the other people around you. And that creates a, a level of disharmony that actually explodes committees. And I've been a member of uh, OCN for a number of years, mm -hmm. the Owners Corporation Network, who are some of the people you've had on your uh, on your show mm. for a number of years. And I get to meet a lot of people in other strata committees, other secretaries, other chairmen. And I can tell you it's an absolute disaster when you hear these stories about disharmony. Mm. Uh, they can get very, very nasty. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with you 100%. When it comes to your committee, that's something that really stands out, is your ability to work together to make often those hard decisions, those quick decisions, moving quickly, particularly when lawyers are involved. And of course, this is the side of, of things that I often see. It's important to make quick decisions. And you can't do that if you don't trust each other, if you don't trust your office bearers, if you're not being guided by your secretary, for example. And I think that also feeds into the longevity of your committee members. If there are people representing the building who not only lot owners trust, but they trust each other, then your owner's going to be happy to have those committee members continue in their offices year after year and get the big important jobs done. That's exactly right. And of course, it's uh, one of the advantages just getting onto the uh, track of committee members who have got it, who have been living in the building for quite a while, they tend to develop their own friends within the building. Mm. So information actually spreads out very, very rapidly. If something goes wrong in the building, I, I hear about it very, very quickly, mm. Like, or the building manager hears about it very, very quickly. It's not often that, that things happen that you just don't know about. I mean, if there's a problem, it, it sort of comes to you one way or the other. Mm. And that's because of that development of what you call you could almost call it a neural network, mm. you know, where like um, uh, where people are so in harmony with each other that the information moves very, very rapidly mm. to the right spots. Mm. Okay, Stephen, let's talk about some problems, I suppose, when it comes to strata committees. Can you identify for us some common problems in your experience? And I guess more importantly, how do you solve or how do you avoid these problems? I think the... Uh, the most common problems that strata committees have are personality problems. Yeah. People who've got personal agendas, that's something that we really push back hard on. Mm. It's an absolute disaster. We've had the experience here in the past of people who've had personal agendas and they are damaging. Mm. They distort or they bias the thinking of the committee. There are also uh, people who don't have time to commit, for instance. Yep. 
that's a really big problem. They want to get onto the committee. They think there's a bit of kudos there and they just don't have the time to actually do anything. Mm. We've got different levels. We've got nine people at our committee and different people do different things. So not everyone's strong in a particular area, but everyone's got some strength somewhere. Mm -hmm. And where those people have got strength, we sort of let them go and do what they need to do. That's, that's a good point. And it's sort of going back to what makes a great committee, I think. The committees that I have seen work very effectively are those where there are individuals with, as you say, particular strengths or skill sets. You might have the architect, the engineer, perhaps the banker on your committee, and you can then tap into those skills. And I've seen committees do that really effectively, delegating to those people particular roles to deal with particular issues in the building. And you're not then asking people to deal with everything. They are they are then, I suppose that goes to resolving this problem of making a commitment to serve the wider community. That commitment can be narrowed somewhat if you focus on what each person's particular strength is and just give them to do what they are best at doing. Well, that, that's absolutely right, Amanda. I think uh, personal strengths are really important and it's it's a really good idea to get to know what people can and can't do. I'm a little bit sceptical about the type of professionalism like bankers, <laughs> architects and people, Lawyers. you know, engineers, <laughs> lawyer, you know, because what, what our experience has been where people have had a particular type of expertise, they're likely to use that in their own interest rather right. than the building's interest. They tend to focus on their own, they use their own special level of expertise to uh, push a particular type of agenda that suits them more than anybody else. The most important thing is that you've got people who've got, who are fairly conservative, who've got common sense. Mm. And common sense is really the, you know, it's an amorphous term, but nevertheless, it does capture something quite important. Mm. I just want to get stuck into that issue of personal agendas uh, and difficult personalities because I think it's an important one and I think I see a lot of committees suffer, I suppose, when they don't get those things right. Have you got any tips on how to deal with a difficult personality, how to perhaps get the right people on the committee? Is there anything that you guys are doing uh, at a general meeting when nominations are open and elections are happening? How do you track down and uh, sign up these ideas? Ideal committee members. Well, there's no there's no formula for doing that. <laughs> I guess when you're in a building long enough, you get to talk to a lot of people. Uh, you get to, you get to know what they're like. You have different conversations. Some of your compatriots have conversations as well with those people, and they'll tell you certain things about them. You'll learn things from other sources, like from the building manager, the strata manager, or mm. someone like that. And gradually, you bring people in slowly. I don't think that there is any formula that helps you make a good decision about who's going to be effective and who isn't. It's a matter of sort of getting to know people mm. and they gradually get more and more involved. And as they get more and more involved, when you get a vacancy on the committee, then they put their hand up. Yeah. And I suppose what you're also doing in that process is you're developing a culture, the culture of not only what our building looks like, but what our committee looks like and the type of people that serve on our committee. And I think that that goes a long way towards future proofing, perhaps your committee. If you've got that culture in place, then you're probably only going to see the type of people putting up their hands who think, yeah, I like this culture and I want to be a part of it. I suppose it happens, but it might be the rarer case where someone says, don't like it and I'm going to stand up and, and try and change it. 
especially a committee like yours that has had a very effective culture for a number of years. I certainly see that you have owners there who support you and have confidence in keeping that culture alive. We get a lot of support through the building and I think that's one of the reasons that we're, we're fairly effective. It doesn't mean that we every proposition that we raise gets supported by everybody, but yeah. it does mean that generally you tend to get that high level of confidence in the building, in the way that we manage the building. Mm. And that cuts down on a lot of stress. Well, I'm sure we have many listeners listening in today, Stephen, who are thinking, what is this Golden Committee? Uh, How do I get one (laughs) or how do I create one? What are some action steps that our listeners can take to get started with improving their own strata committee? I think probably the most the first rule that I'd put in is is the no private conversations rule. Yeah. You know, like the office holders have to know everything that goes on. No office holder has a private conversation with anybody. Mm. It's all open. I think that's probably one of the most important. I think the second most important thing is probably that long-term view, try and develop a perspective that sort of goes beyond the next five years, that sort of goes into 10 years or what will the place look like in 15 or 20 years? Mm. You know, that, that long-term view, I think, is really important. But those are two things. And these are really attitudinal mm. mandate sort of things. They're not they're something that needs to develop, as you've pointed out, as a culture. Mm. But that'd be the two things I think I'd mention. Yeah, and I think an important point that has come out today, Stephen, is keeping the lines of communication open. And I suppose more specifically, getting involved in your community. If you are a resident owner, getting out there, uh, whether you're a committee member or a lot owner, but getting out there, getting to know those around you, getting to understand what's going on in the building. And that that can be quite uh, detailed if it is a larger building. Not only knowing your committee members, your fellow committee members, if you are one, but on being on the lookout for others who might be great committee Mm. members who might fit in with that culture. So I think that's something that you've highlighted. You're doing really well there. Your committee's doing really well there in your building is just keeping a hand in basically, talking to everybody, getting to know who the new owners are, getting to know who's who's leaving, who might be a good replacement for the committee. And I think that's something that, that somebody could start straight away, getting more involved, communicating with the strata manager, the building manager, and the committee members. Absolutely. I think you've hit it right on the head. Mm. And uh, like I said, it's an attitude that has to develop. It's yeah. If you're acting in good faith and you're acting transparently, that'll sort of happen anyway. Yes. You know. Yep, you're right. Okay, the book question for you, Stephen. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? I've got probably four, but they're Go all, for it. They, they all <laughs> more or less sort of cover the same area. I think uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, And that's a book that's about cognitive processing. I know that that's something that I'm interested in at the moment because I'm doing it, studying it at university as well Mm. as teaching. But there's a number of aspects, cognitive aspects, which are applicable to strata committees, actually, which uh, sort of help people get along better, which uh, stop people biasing judgments Mm. on committees. So that's an important one, I think. A couple of Others, there's The Power of Mindful Learning by Ellen Langer. I've read Langer's work before I actually read her book, and I can generally the the scientific papers are actually better than the books. I can tell you they're shorter, they're more (laughs) concise, and there's a lot less nonsense in it. Mindful Learning is really an anti-multitasking book. Yes. It basically says that you need 
you need to have a an awareness of what you're doing, that you need to focus on what you're doing. And it's not sophisticated idea, but it is a well-developed idea now. Mm. There's been a lot of research. Well, multitasking is a dirty word now, isn't it? Fast It coming. is. Yeah. It, it should be. Yeah, yeah I know, agree. Of, and, of course, the other thing about mindful learning is the idea that knowledge isn't fixed. Mm. Things do change, so you really need to keep – it's not that you need to know everything – but you need to focus on a particular thing. For instance, you know, yourself as doing law, you know, you focus on that. You get to know that particular domain mm. intimately so that you know things about the, you know, you develop a level of expertise mm. that's just not available to normal people, no matter how much they try and study it. Mm. You're involved in it constantly. So that's the power of mindful learning. Another book that's sort of related to that is material by Carol Dweck. And she wrote a book called Mindset. And the thesis of that, and again, I've read her papers prior to uh, reading the book. And again, the papers are better. The scientific <laughs> papers are much, much better than the books, I can tell you. Uh, and it's about the difference between fixed and fluid mindsets. And she's done a, quite a number of studies with colleagues that have shown that people who think about their own mental capacities as being fairly fixed or innate tend to perform worse mm. than people who have a very fluid attitude that, yes, I can make mistakes and mm. I will make mistakes, but I'll learn from them. Yes. Probably the worst thing you can say to your child is that, you know, my child's a genius and you've oh, done, gosh, yeah. you know, you're so good at this, and, yeah. you know, and that sort of develops that kind of a, an expectation in the child. Yes. They've got an, abilities which it doesn't allow them to experiment and try and make mistakes yes. and learn from those mistakes. Mm. And the last book is called The Person in the Situation by a couple of authors called Ross and Nisbet. It's not a new book. It's a fairly old one. And it's basically about situationism. It's We tend to think we have control over our lives and over the world. Mm -hmm. You know, when we have an accident and that, for instance, we run into someone runs into us or well, we run into someone if, if someone runs into us, it's their fault. Mm. I mean, we, the first thing we don't consider is that, well, maybe uh, they may not have seen the red light may have failed or uh, something else may have mm. happened. But the situationism is about the way that the world sort of controls us rather than we control the world. And we sort of live in a, in a kind of an illusion of mm. control, a cognitive mm. you know, process, which uh, is quite powerful. Mm. Interesting. Well, I will make sure that each of those four books are listed in our show notes there, Stephen, so that our listeners can get their hands on them. I love your, your breadth of knowledge. We always have interesting conversations when we meet, not just about strata, but uh, about psychology and, um, and many of those emerging branches, I think. And um, if anybody is interested in that, Stephen is your, your go-to guy, I think. <laughs> okay, Stephen, is there anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Probably no other than the fact of what I've already reiterated. Being on a strata committee is an attitude. You know, you've got to bring a certain type of a perspective to it. Mm. That's probably one of the most important things I can say. Mm. And transparency. You've mm. got to have that transparency. And it's got to be not a pretend transparency. It's got to be a real transparency that's effective. So when I say that we, we use that, you know, no private conversations rule, mm. we really do use it. We yep. don't 
take it seriously. Yeah, you do. I think they are two very important messages to leave off on today. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Stephen. I know you're about to jet off overseas, so thank you. You're a busy man. Thanks for taking the time, and we'd love to have you back sometime to share your Strata experiences. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?